following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. What I would like to do this morning is we won't look at anything quite so crazy as we did last week, but we're going to look at some verses from Luke chapter 2, which give us a slightly more straightforward account of the Christmas story. Uh, I just want to look at a couple of verses this morning, um, but rather than me reading them, I'm going to get someone else to read them, and his name is Linus. He's a character in Charlie Brown. Anyone know, remember Charlie Brown? Yeah, anyone grow up with Charlie Brown? Peanuts? Comic strip? Yeah. Wonderful. One of the most famous comic strips ever. And uh, way back in the 60s, they made the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, and this was big, big news at the time. This was a big deal at the time. And so I want to play you a scene from Charlie Brown's Christmas special that features Linus telling us the true meaning of Christmas. So let's watch the screen. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable when you think about what that movie, I mean, it's a major mainstream family movie. You know, you wouldn't find a scene like that in a mainstream family movie these days, would you? Incredible, hey, right in the middle of, and that was a, a huge deal at the time, and in the middle of this otherwise non-religious movie, you have that scene of uh, the real meaning of Christmas, right from the words of the Bible itself. And uh, I think that's quite extraordinary, especially considering that movie was funded by Coca-Cola back in the day. <laughs> and you get that from Coke. Incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. And that wasn't just back in the 1960s. I mean, every year since then, that movie has played on major free-to-air television in the United States. So that's a, that's a big Christmas tradition. It's interesting, hey, even in our secular culture, you know, where Christmas has become thoroughly commercialized and secularized, somehow the Christmas story still has a way of finding its way to the surface. The real meaning of Christmas still has a way of finding its way through. So what I'd like to do is look a little bit more closely at those words that Linus read out or recited, those words which are the words that originally the angel spoke to the shepherds over the hills of Bethlehem that night from Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, because in, in those two verses, you really get a very succinct description of what Christmas is all about. That question that Charlie Brown asked, what is Christmas all about? I think that question needs to be asked and answered in every generation, every year. Uh, what is the real meaning of Christmas? And we get the essence of it. We get the beating heart of the Christmas message in these two verses, the real meaning, the real significance of Christmas. So let's unpack these together. It's a simple word, but there's three parts 
to what the angel announces here to the shepherds. I want to walk through each of these with you. The first is in the first words that the angel says, verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And some of your older translations, it just says, fear not, fear not. And it's amazing how many times in the Christmas story, those words are spoken. Fear not. How many times angels say, fear not to people when, when the angel appeared to Joseph. He said, fear not, do not be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. When the angel appeared to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, he said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. When the angel appeared to Mary, he said, do not be afraid, fear not, Mary. And then when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they say, do not be afraid, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy. So I thought, well, if this fear not is so much a part of the Christmas story, I wonder where else that phrase is used. I wonder how often this fear not pops up in the Bible. And so I started looking. And when you look at all the references to fear not or words to that effect, do not be afraid, do not fear, it's everywhere. It's all through the Bible. It's constantly God is saying, fear not. Let me just give you three other examples from the Old Testament. God says to Abraham, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. In Joshua, God says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then Jesus himself in John 14, 27, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Over and over and over again, God is saying to people through scripture, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. In fact, if you add up all the times that the Bible says, fear not, there's over 365 of them. So in other words, next year, you could take one fear not every day. You could, take, you could seriously take one fear not, one verse in the Bible that says fear not in some way every day next year and it'd keep you going for the whole year. You could take one of those promises, one of those scriptures to meditate on, to reflect on, and, and you'd have more than enough for a whole year, right through the scriptures. So when this angel says to the shepherds, fear not, he's not just saying, don't freak out because I'm an angel. He is, he is gathering up all of these fear nots all through the Bible, this great long tradition of fear not. And he's saying, God has told you over and over again, you don't need to fear because God is your refuge. God is your shield. God is your defender. God is your shelter. God is your rest. God is your peace. Over and over and over again, we are told, do not fear. And all of these fear nots come rushing together in the birth of Jesus. It's the greatest fear not of all. It's like the old carol says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee. Tonight, all the fears of humanity, all the fears of all the years are met and are relieved in Jesus of Nazareth because his perfect love has come into this world and perfect love casts out all fear. You know, in that scene where Linus recites the words of the angel, if you know Charlie Brown, if you know the Peanuts comic strip, you know Linus, the character Linus, he's never without his security blanket, is he? He's always got that little blue blanket. In fact, apparently the phrase security blanket that we use metaphorically, that was originated in Charlie Brown. That's, where it came, that's why we all talk about having security blankets in life and so on. It came from Charlie Brown. It came from Howard Schultz who created it. Linus is without his security blanket. He's got it in every single scene ever written in the Peanuts comic strip except one, that scene. It's the only scene ever where Linus puts down his security blanket. Isn't that great? And if you watch it, you should go home and YouTube it and watch it again because it's right at the point where he says, fear not. He puts down his blanket. And for the rest of the scene, the blanket's sitting beside him 
rather than in his hands. Isn't that beautiful? Come on, Howard Schultz, who created Peanuts, he was a Christian. So this is not an accident. He was looking for these ways to weave his Christian faith into his work, into his art, and he found a beauty there. Fear not. In other words, we don't need our security blankets in life anymore because Jesus has come. We've all got security blankets in life, haven't we? We've all got things that we clutch to and we try and cling on to to, to help us feel better, help us feel more secure. Maybe it's, maybe it's needing the approval of other people or needing to control and dominate other people. Maybe it's, maybe it's some substance that we have to keep going back to. Maybe it's our phone that we're addicted to. That's our security blanket, right? We've all got security blankets. We've all got things. And underneath that, often they mask our fears because we're afraid. We're afraid of what's coming up next year. We're afraid of challenges that we've got in our lives. We're afraid of where this marriage is heading or where this health problem is heading or where our finances are heading or wherever it is. And we have these deep fears. But the message of Christmas, the message of the angel is fear not. Christ has come. You can put down your security blanket. You don't need to hold on to it anymore. You don't need to clutch it because Christ has come. Jesus has come into this world. And because he was with us then, he is with us now. And he says to you, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Whatever you're facing, Jesus says, I've already gone ahead of you. I've already gone ahead into your future and I've made it a safe place for you. So you can walk in with confidence because I'm already there and I'm welcoming you into it, whatever the future holds. Yes, of course, you're going to be apprehensive at times. You'll get nervous at times. You'll feel anxiety at times, but you don't need to be defined by fear anymore because Christ has come. Don't we need to hear that? Don't we need to hear that fear not? We need to hear the words of the angel that I think spoken over our lives as much as the shepherds needed to hear it 2,000 years ago. We don't need to fear because perfect love has come. Perfect love casts out all fear. Let's take those words to heart. So that's the first thing the angel says, fear not. And then there's a second part to this message. Another two words in the middle of this announcement, good news. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Now the word good news or the words good news, just one word in Greek, euangelion. And that word is usually translated as gospel. So a lot of the time in the New Testament where you read the word gospel, that's the same word as the angel says here. So in other words, this is the first time in the New Testament that anyone preaches the gospel. It's the first time the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. It's proclaimed by an angel, the first one to, to preach the true, full, good news. He says, I bring the gospel. Today, the gospel is being proclaimed. And the gospel is this announcement. He goes on to tell you what it is. In verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There's three titles there used for Jesus. So the gospel's like a three-legged stool. These three titles or three roles that Jesus has, they all come together to form the gospel. Jesus is savior. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Lord. All three are important. Jesus is the Savior. He's the one who comes to forgive sins. That's what the name Jesus means, right? God saves. It's the greatest gift Jesus brought, forgiveness of sins. Jesus is Messiah. That is, he is the fulfillment of Israel's story. He's the son of David. He's the great king that, that was promised to David, the culmination of everything promised to God's people in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ. And he is the Lord. He is the one who rules and reigns over heaven and earth with rightful authority over all creation. He is Savior. He is Messiah. 
He is Lord. That's the gospel. The gospel is that announcement. The gospel is not primarily something you have to do. It's something that's already been done, something that's happened. This has happened. Christ is Savior and Messiah and Lord. Here's the thing, though. In the first century, as this gospel was being proclaimed, there was another gospel also being proclaimed. There was a rival gospel being proclaimed in the first century, a fake gospel, if you like, that was circulating in the world. And it had to do with this guy who's mentioned at the beginning of Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus. Now, he was the Roman emperor at the time. He'd been ruling for a number of years by the time Jesus was born. And there was a lot of worship of the emperor that was going on in the first century. He wasn't just seen as a great human leader or a head of state. He was really venerated as a god. He was deified and he was, he was worshipped as being a god. And several years before Jesus was born, on the emperor's birthday one year, on Caesar's birthday, someone wrote him this, this birthday tribute, this birthday uh, letter or, or thing honouring Caesar. And it survived and archaeologists have dug it up and we can read it. And reading this gives you a little bit more insight into what the angel is saying about Jesus. So let me read you just part of this inscription to Caesar. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. All the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. The emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as saviour, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of the good news concerning him. Now, that was written a few years before Jesus was born. And can you see this, the titles that are being used there to describe Caesar are some of the same titles that are being used to describe Jesus. That the birthday of the emperor, the birth of the emperor, was considered to be the beginning of the good news. That's the same Greek word, euangelion, that's translated gospel. In other words, the, the birth of Caesar was the gospel, as far as people in the first century were concerned. What, what, what's the gospel? What you, what, how are you going to proclaim the gospel? You would proclaim the birth of Caesar. This king, he has come. He has brought good news to the world. He is saviour. He is God. He is divine. Now, when you understand that gospel, can you hear what the angel is saying to the shepherds? Can you hear the significance of this? That he's saying, you know, there's this, there's this king sitting on a throne in Rome who thinks that he is bringing the gospel into the world. But I tell you, there is another sheriff in town. This baby born in this little manger in a stable in Bethlehem is the beginning of the true good news. It's not Caesar who is the saviour of the world. It's Jesus. It's not Caesar who is God manifest. It's Jesus. It's not Caesar who is Lord. It's Jesus it's not Caesar who brings peace on earth. That's something he claimed to do as well. It's Jesus who brings true peace on earth. Caesar's birthday became the beginning of the calendar year in the Roman Empire. But Jesus' birthday split history in two and changed the course of the world forever. So the angel is saying, I'm coming to bring you the real good news. You've heard this gospel about Caesar. You think that's the gospel. Let me tell you the real good news. It's Jesus who is Saviour and Lord and God. This is the gospel that we have. This is the bigness of the message. Sometimes I think we shrivel the gospel down to this little thing. 
this little shrinking up version of the big message, which is just purely about how my soul can be saved so I can go to heaven when I die. Now, of course, that's the heart of the gospel and the gospel is nothing less than how I can go to heaven when I die, but it's a whole lot more than that. At least the gospel the angels proclaimed is a lot more than that. It is the, the announcement to every power and authority in earth and on heaven that the true king has come. And anyone who would stand against that king and try and set themselves up as the true and rightful king and Lord of the world, one day they will bow before Jesus who is Lord. This is a huge announcement. This is a global announcement. In some ways, this is a political announcement to any ruler who would set themselves up with absolute authority. This announcement that Christ has come, He alone has the claim to be the world's true and rightful King and Saviour and Lord and God. So I want to suggest we need to recapture the bigness of the gospel. We need to sit with the hugeness of this and not allow it to get all shrunken in. We need to celebrate the real good news, the true good news, the huge, immense good news that the angel proclaimed to the shepherds. Yes? All right. You're excited about that? I can tell. Let's move on to the final part, which I think you need this morning. Great joy. All right. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. This is the final part of the message. And in all seriousness, I mean, joy, seriousness, but we need to hear this message. And I wonder whether this is the part we need to hear the most. Great joy. Because in some ways, the Christmas season and the way that we now live it in the modern world has a way of robbing us of joy along the way, doesn't it? I mean, the month of December is the most joy-destroying month of the year for some people. You know, the busyness of it, the manic pace that we all set, the, the frantic race to the finish line. We're weary and exhausted after a long year and we get to this point in the year and some of us feel anything but joyful. And this is the sad irony that the season that is supposed to evoke great joy sometimes robs us of exactly that. And this is something I think we need to allow the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, to rekindle in our hearts. This should be our response to the good news, is to have great joy. The old versions talk about glad tidings. Glad tidings. There's something about this story, something about this announcement that should warm our hearts and give us some joy. Now, we've got to distinguish between joy and happiness. Being joyful is not the, not the same thing as being happy. happy. Happiness is great. Happiness is a feeling that we have, a feeling of, of you know, we, we, we're, we're happy. We feel good. And there's a lot of things that can make us happy. But happiness comes and happiness goes. And we can't always expect to be happy. It's an emotion. Our emotions go up and down depending on our circumstances, depending on all sorts of things going on in our lives. I think of the quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port could do that. <laughs> and I, it, I, I'm not sure God's intention, highest good in our lives, is to make us happy. That's not the goal of human existence. But the goal is that we would experience joy. Joy is something much deeper. Joy is something that goes on not at the surface level of our being. If you think of, think of it like an ocean, the surface of the ocean is like your emotions. And some, they can be very turbulent. The waves go up and down on the surface of, of the ocean. That's your emotional life. But think of that deeper level of your being. Think of your soul. Think of that core inner self. That's like the ocean floor. 
That's the seabed. That's where we experience joy. I think the best way to think about joy is it's the satisfaction of our souls. Not just an outer happiness. That's great. But joy is the satisfaction of our soul. It is a soul that is deeply at rest, at peace, contented and happy in the presence of God. And the only one who can give us that joy is God himself. There's no one and nothing else that can bring you joy. Plenty of things in life can bring you happiness. Plenty of things you can run after that will make you happy. Only one person can bring you true joy. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Psalm 63, 5 says, You've satisfied my soul as with rich and fat foods. I will praise you with songs of joy. Now, we know a lot about rich and fat foods because we're going to eat a whole lot of that in three days' time, right? You're all going to eat a whole lot of rich and fat foods on Wednesday, aren't you? That's how it's going to be. I think of the last meal that we have on Christmas night is with Anna's mum, and we get there, and we've already had a whole lot to eat during the day. But then we show up for this huge feast that gets turned on, a huge dinner, this lavish feast. And then she pulls out a couple of desserts as well. And by the end of all that, then we go and retire in the living room and it's just, you know, it's dim lighting and I just collapse into an armchair. I become one with the armchair. And there's the Christmas tree there and quiet Christmas music and I am satisfied. I, I'm deeply satiated from this meal that I have had and I am full and I am at peace. Now, you take that sort of image and you transpose it into your soul in a spiritual sense. That's what it means to be joyful, is that we feast on the riches of who Christ is and the good news that he has come. And our soul becomes satisfied when we eat of this feast that God gives us, when we're nourished by his presence and his word and his spirit and his power and his gospel in our lives. And we drink it in and we consume it. Our soul becomes satisfied as with the richest of foods. And that experience is what the Bible calls joy. There's a joy that we experience in the depth of our being. And our response, as the psalmist says, is worship. I will praise you with songs of joy. It doesn't matter what we're going through. Our response to the good news can be praise and worship to God because of the joy he brings to our soul. So what that means is it's perfectly possible in your life to experience happiness without joy or joy without happiness. Is that right? You could have one without the other. You could be perfectly happy in life at the moment. Things could be buzzing along, but you don't have joy at a deep level. Maybe that's some of you. You're happy enough. But you know, as you think about your soul, you're just lacking joy. You just don't have that deep, deep satisfaction in your soul. And that is something God desires to give you. That's something he wants to restore in your life. Maybe that's your prayer this morning is, God, would you restore my joy? I'm happy enough, but, but at a deep level, God, would you restore my joy? I've lost something in my soul. My soul has been eroded. by. As you feast on him, as you drink and eat, he will restore your joy. And there are other times that you may not feel happy at all, but you can still experience joy. I don't think you can always expect to be happy. I think it's an unrealistic expectation. There's times when happiness will be there, other times when it's not there. But below all of that, regardless of whether you feel happy or not, you can still experience joy. That's why the Apostle Paul said when he was sitting in a Roman prison cell, in spite of all this, I rejoice. That's the verb for joy. I rejoice. 
Regardless of what's going on around me, I can still experience this deep joy. It's why that old hymn says, when sorrows and sea billows roll around in my life, I can still say, it is well with my soul. That's joy. That's real and lasting joy. So you can know, even though you may not be happy on the outside, your moods and emotions may be all over the place, you can still experience true abiding joy as you feast on the riches of the person of Jesus. So that's the message. Fear not. We don't need to be afraid because Christ has come. Good news. We've got to get a sense of the big gospel, the hugeness, the vastness of the good news and great joy. We can experience satisfaction in our soul no matter what's happening around us. Let me finish by reading the words of the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. There's a fourth verse to this carol, and we never normally sing it, but I've asked Josh and the team if we could sing it this morning. Uh, It's not very well known, but I think it captures perfectly what the angel says to the shepherds that night. I'll read it to you. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. That's the good news. That is the good news, that as far as the curse of sin has wrecked and damaged and polluted the world and our human experience, that's how far the blessings of God have flowed because of Jesus Christ. To heal, to restore, to mend and to renew all that the curse of sin has touched. That's the good news. That's what should bring us great joy. That's what can cast out all fear. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that the angel spoke to those shepherds over the hills of Bethlehem that night. And we thank you that it's still good news today. So let us hear it afresh as if it was spoken for the first time. And I pray that as we allow that good news to sink deeply into our hearts, the good news, Jesus, that you are Savior, that you are Messiah, that you are Lord. God, I pray that you would stir at the deepest level of our being great joy, a joy that maybe has not been there for a long, long time, but would you kindle it like a, like a fire again in our heart, that deep, deep abiding joy. And God, would you, as that joy is fanned into flame in our lives, would you cast out all fear? God, would you just come and take those things in our lives now that we we fear? Lord, as we think about next year, as we think about the future, we just bring those fears to you now, Lord Jesus. We lift those things, those uncertainties, those things that, that cause us anxiety. We come and we lift them to you, Jesus. And we hear again your word spoken over our life. Fear not. Do not be afraid. You are our refuge. You are our strength. You are our guide. You are with us, and we trust that you will continue to be with us through whatever we're walking through, whatever we're experiencing. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you that you've come into this world, and you continue to come into our lives and fill us with your presence, your peace, your love, and your joy. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. 
For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.